Hello and welcome to Rising News, the podcast with all you need to know about your weekly news. Today is Saturday the 23rd of May 2020 and welcome to the one hour special. Returning. Are going back. More coronavirus updates. And we have a guest host. Alrighty. Welcome. This is the one other special. Here we go. First article. So, the uh, coronavirus. Yes, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. Well, schools. Schools are reopening in New South Wales. Full, full time face-to-face learning for all students of all ages primary schools and high schools of public education will both be reopening this monday the 25th of may for full-time face-to-face learning i'd like to introduce one of my guest hosts um aaron aaron will be covering this article and a bit more about coronavirus over to you aaron new south wales have decided to open their schools i believe i don't really know if it's the best idea, because there's still not really a cure for the coronavirus, so it's a little bit of a risk, but no one knows because it's quite amazing. But also on the other other hand, it's a good idea because lots of children have been missing out on lots of education, and it's been hard, actually, really hard doing work at home. It's really hard. For parents who have to go to work, have part-time jobs as well, it's really hard. I didn't really know what to say when they when they said they're going to open schools because I'm pretty sure they didn't even they didn't tell anybody. They just put out of the blue. I'm pretty sure the premier was meant to tell everyone by Friday, but she just did it. She just did it on Monday. It's quite a surprise, but yeah, we'll see where it goes from here. Also, there's been lots of rumors that there is going to be a second wave. No one knows because influenza season is coming up. No one knows. And if it does happen, I believe it's going to be worse. Like, if you can't find a cure for anything, it's just going to get worse. And that's that's really it. Wow. And thanks to Aaron for that. Now, as you, most of you may know, Virgin Australia, one of the biggest rivals to Qantas in recent times for most domestic and international aviation routes around Australia, has gone through voluntary administration and has run out of money, as some may say, because of the coronavirus pandemic. This has been caused by shortage of flights and shortage of people, obviously, catching their planes. Many companies have had the bid, and have, they've, they've been able to uh, should be able to go through a few stages, with the Queensland government offering through a company called QIC at one point. There have been many other speculations as to whether the country will make it through this difficult time, and... Um, and some of uh, some people are thinking that, that this could be the end of Virgin. But recently, the Virgin Australia has been adding demu- new domestic flights with increased frequencies under a revised agreement with the Australian government to connect essential tra- travellers and critical freight with tons of cities across Australia. Back on May twenty second, on Friday. Virgin Australia had released the statement on their airline's website, saying, We will take changes on our underwritten schedule from 64 to 76 return services per week, including the following. Adding three return services per week between Adelaide and Perth, starting May 22nd. Increased services between Brisbane and Cairns from three times a week to four times per week. Increased services between Brisbane and Mackay from five times per week to six times per week. Increased services from Brisbane to Melbourne from once to twice daily. Increasing capacity between Perth and Newman, Perth to Carthur and Perth to Port Hedland by upgrading the aircraft from a Fokker 100 to a Boeing 737. Virgin Australia has also said it's collaborating with airlines and airports on a consistent national policy framework as part of the Australian Aviation Recovery Coalition in response to COVID-19. And some outcomes of those discussions are expected in the coming weeks. All this information and more will be highlighted over the next few weeks as we figure out 
Will Virgin die, or will it be bring it up for a few flights more? Many other uh, many other reporters said much more about this and how Virgin bitters down to two by the end of the month. Some companies are even saying that Virgin will be gone by the end of the month. However, companies are always willing to adopt new franchises, and Virgin may just be one. In other news, dolphins have had studies on them proving they're missing human contact, and specifically some dolphins from Queensland. At the Barnacles Cafe and Dolphin Feeding at Tin Can Bay, Queensland, which has been closed for weeks, people usually line up to feed the school of humpback dolphins. And now, volunteers at the cafe say, the dolphins are showing an unusual, very generous new behaviour. On their Facebook post, from uh, the cafe on Monday, they said, The pod has been bringing us regular gifts, showing us how much they're missing the public interaction and attention. They're definitely missing you all. The treasures include sea sponges, barnacle encrusted bottles, and pieces of coral. Pictures of these have been found on the Barnacles Cafe and Dolphin Feeding Facebook page, with the with other quotes about putting a smile on people's faces and coming to spend some time with these incredible creatures. They are definitely missing you all. Um, and some other um other uh, news news uh, reporters, <laughs> sorry, other news uh, reporters such as Barry McGovern, an expert in dolphin behaviour, told Seven News, it's possible the dolphins are trying to express that they miss humans, but it is still very unlikely. More and more people have studied these dolphins and have figured out that there are some t- characteristics and traits which have changed because of the loss of human contact. Now, this will actually be our poll for this week. Do you guys believe that the dolphins are uh, changing their behaviours due to the loss of human contact? Or is this just a big misunderstanding? Submit this on our poll on risingnews.weebly.com. Remember, that's risingnews.weebly.com. I'll read out how you guys did next week. Also, in some sort of sport news about Manchester United. Manchester United are suing the makers of the Football Manager series for allegedly infringing their trademark by using the club's name extensively throughout the game. The Premier League side have taken legal action against Sega Publishing and Sports Interactive, the publisher and developer of the popular football management simulation. The club will also argue Sega and SI have infringed their trademark over their logo by not using the official Manchester United crest of the game. Instead, replacing the club crest with a simplified red and white striped logo. The club claims it deprives the registered proprietor of its right to have the club credit crest licensed. Sega and SI say that the use of the club's name is a legitimate reference to the Manchester United football team in a football context and has been used in Football Manager and its predecessor since 1992 without complaint by the opponent. The companies have accused the club of trying to prevent legitimate, legitimate competition in video games field by preventing parties not licensed by the client from using the name of the Manchester United football team within such games. I think this is pretty stupid. Manchester United as a club have had some have had some difficulties, and um, financially this could just be only a theory, a way to uh, get a bit of cash in the pocket, if you know what I mean. Manchester United could have sued this company over so many years ago, but they haven't. They've chosen to wait until the good time. If companies were legitimately suing for legitimate and proper reasons, then this would not be true. If they realised that they were using it for non-legitimate reasons and without proper licensing, then they would have sued the company many, many years ago. However, there are other reasons why companies hold back on suing, like it's such a small game, not many people will watch it, or such a small game and we don't really think that that's much of a big deal. However, right now, people think it is. With the extensive product placement and extensive product sales, the companies and clubs have decided to put legal action against this. This does not mean that the club says it needs to be taken down. It just means that they think proper legal action should be taken so that this game is fairly published. This brings us to our first quiz question. 
quiz questions will come up a few times during this podcast and maybe coming up maybe once or twice in future podcasts. The first quiz question, who was the first Australian Prime Minister? Was it A, George Reid, B, Edmund Barton, or C, Andrew Fisher? You'll have five seconds to choose your answer. Go! If you said Edmund Barton, you'd be correct. Edmund Barton was the first Australian Prime Minister after Federation and served from 1901 to 1903. Alrighty, let's get back on with some news. A Western Australian woman has been charged with superannuation fraud. For those of you who don't know, superannuation is money that gets taken out of your uh, pay to, uh, to help fund you into the future. Superannuation usually is used as a retirement fund or, it's, or other kinds of money when people retire. However, recently, due to the coronavirus, people are acquiring some money that they saved in their superannuation to help them get by through this hard time. This being leading to some pretty tricky fraud. So, a 34-year-old Perth woman has been charged by federal authorities after allegedly submitting false financial hardship claims to gain early access to superannuation savings. Police say the woman submitted multiple claims on behalf of other people to access payment of up to $10,000 each. After receiving a payment from her own superannuation account, she then transferred the remaining balance into another fund and made another application, Federal Police say. They raided her home on Friday and seized documents, cash, ink-based business identification and certification stamps and electronic devices. The total number and value of the alleged fraudulent claims is still being assessed. She is the fourth person to be charged by anti-fraud task force IRIS and is expected to face Perth Magistrates Court next month. Personally, I think this is pretty pretty bad. Coronavirus hasn't just brought forward superannuation scams as telemarketing scams because people are home and more scams from other companies are becoming much and much more prominent. This is a pretty bad take because Australia as a country is pretty good for scams. However, international numbers are doing a thing called number masking, which is where you fake a number from a local place to make it seem like you're there. In some cases, um, telemarketers from Mumbai have cloned their number and made it look like they are from uh, Sydney areas with like uh, 02 numbers, uh, which are 02 maybe 98 numbers, 92 numbers, 88 numbers, stuff like that and Australian mobile numbers beginning with 04. This is used to convince people to answer the call, which in some cases just answering the call can do you harm. If you see a number you don't recognise, let it go to voicemail. Most of the time, if someone you actually needed to ne- needed to talk to, like an actual government authority, important people or family or relatives, they would leave a voicemail. Check your voicemails, and if they don't leave a voicemail, don't call them back. This is an important tip as it's becoming very, very prominent recently. I would say to follow my advice as much as you can, because I think this is a pretty big deal, especially during such hard times. And most of you that know me personally know that I love technology, and Australia's technology with Wi-Fi has had some pretty big deals with NBN. Following the Rudd government in 2007 elected, uh, the Liberal government followed uh, followed suit with the National Broadband Network claims to install a hybrid fibre network. However, this changed when Malcolm Turnbull changed some of the prices around and changed the network in different areas, some using satellite technology and some using hybrid fibre coaxial, like used in some of the areas in Sydney metropolitan. Australia's internet isn't exactly world class, but it, but it could one day lead, lead the world in speed if it's the first to take advantage of a new discovery by some local scientists. Australia is currently one of the lowest scoring Wi-Fi providing countries. As some countries in, let's say, second or third world nations have had faster Wi-Fi than us because our technology is very old. And even the NBN has had some pretty bad numbers. A team of researchers in three Melbourne universities have this week claimed the world's fastest internet speed using a single optical chip which they have said will facilitate faster networks with more capacity in the future. The world record speed of 44.2 terabytes per second shattered the previous record of 30.1 terabytes.
care about per second. And the chip used in the latest test is said to have used less than half the spectrum. That speed is roughly 1 million times the speed you currently get on the most popular NBN bundle. The researchers from RMIT, Monash, and Swinburne Universities um, said something, used something called a microcomb to replicate and replace 80 separate lasers inside of a fiber optic cable with one chip. Fiber optic cables are also the cables being used in some NBN areas. Traffic congestion on the internet is usually explained with the analogy of traffic on roads and highways. The more cars internet users on the road network, and the slower the traffic gets. The latest development is taking a whole leap of those cars off the road and putting their occupants on a bus, albeit a hypothetical bus that always runs on time and moves faster than the cars around it. Not only does the chip communicate huge amounts of data, it also uses less power and takes up much less space than current methods do due to its integrated nature. And this Wi-Fi could be revolutionary, as some of the uh, technologies in other countries have been faster. However, by breaking the world record, these researchers from these three universities could change Australian broadband as you know it. So, I'm going to have a little survey on our uh, website in addition to this week's poll about what's your current Wi-Fi speed. Find a website. My, my suggestion will be the Telstra Speed Test. So just Google Telstra Speed Test. And let me know, what's your Wi-Fi speed? I've heard of friends who Wi-Fi speed are down to less than 10 megabits per second. Whereas some people I know, I'll count myself in, have, have speeds of over 100 megabits per second. This being with and without MBN. Let me know on risingnews.weebly.com. This is usually about the time and halfway through the podcast when I'd start to think of articles to wrap up the podcast. However, we're only 16 minutes in, so here's time for another quiz question. This episode's theme, as you may have noticed, is Australian politics. What was the order of Labour leaders after 2007? Was it A, Rudd, Rudd, Gillard? Was it B, Gillard, Rudd, Gillard? Or was it C, Rudd, Gillard, Rudd? You'll have five seconds to answer this question. Go! The answer was C, Rudd, Gillard, Rudd. After being, let's just say sacked, by the Labour Party in in the late 2000s. Not really 2000s, you know what I mean. Uh, Following around after 2007... Kevin Rudd was replaced by Julia Gillard before gaining his seat back as Prime Minister of Australia following hers, which makes the order Rudd-Gillard-Rudd. Following this Labour government, we had the Prime Ministers of Tony Abbott, Malcolm Turnbull and Scott Morrison, these Prime Ministers being the current Liberal Prime Ministers who have maintained office since the early 2010s. Now, we have some other news now. Some other news about uh, about some travel news. This is some travel news, which I thought is actually pretty pretty different. This should be some good news for people liking to travel. Well, only if you're in South Australia. Because after recording their 11th consecutive day of no new coronavirus cases, South Australia has given local councils the green light to reopen playgrounds and skate parks and possibly even borders to tourists once again. The South Australian total number of coronavirus cases is currently around 438, with 98% of those recovered. Just seven cases are active, with three patients in hospital and one in intensive care. Uh, Nicola Spurrier, I probably haven't said that right, is the Chief Public Health Officer. She urged councils to clean equipment regularly and up some signs to reinforce social distancing and gathering rules. Uh, the state had done particularly well, and the next challenge was to reboot the economy. Easing restrictions around funerals is high on the agenda of South Australian government, said Premier Stephen Marshall. As part of rebooting the, social, the local economy, Senator Marshall said that he was soon to be keen on seeing regional tourism as well as being soon to see safe and welcome country communities. When it's safe to do so, that will be one of our priority areas, he told reporters on Sunday. 
I've already done 20 minutes of this hour-long podcast, and I'm already slipping on my words. Let's see how I do a bit later. It's time for the third and final quiz question for this week. Here, the quiz question is, what is Scott Morrison's date of birth? What Scott Morrison, Morrison, the Prime Minister, what is his date of birth? Is it A, the 12th of August? Is it B, the 7th of July? Or is it C, the 13th of May? You'll have five seconds to answer this question, starting now. The answer was C, the 13th of May, 1968. The Prime Minister is 52 years old, born in Waverley, New South Wales. Good job if you got all three of those questions correct from the political quiz for this week. Now, for some more news. Qantas, the other major airliner in Australia, has been set to offer $19 flights. The Qantas Chief Executive Officer, Alan Joyce, has said, The airline is preparing for the resumption of domestic travel in the next two months with plans for $19 flights and improved safety measures. Mr Joyce told told today Qantas hoped to resume domestic flights by July and has urged states to lift coronavirus border closures by then. We'll be operating 40-50% of pre-COVID operation in July if demand is there, he said. Mr Joyce said Qantas was looking at offering cut price fares between Melbourne and Sydney to entice people back into flying again. He said they've talked about things like offering $19 airfares between Melbourne and Sydney when we get started. We have to offer really cheap airfares to get people to overcome their reluctance around COVID-19, he said this morning. While the airline could kickstart international flights to New Zealand late this year, the Qantas boss said worldwide travel remained many months away. And I do think that's pretty safe. Because even though low cases have been shared between Australia and New Zealand, you would like to, to try and find a way to guarantee that the virus couldn't spread. Mr. Joyce also talked about it. Could, he talked about 2021 and how it could be. It couldn't be until then before we see real substantial operations to the U.S. and into Europe, the way things are at the moment. He said to the Today Show, the carriers' fly well program includes a range of improvements on Qantas and Jetstar flights to include and ensure a safe coronavirus-free travel environment when domestic travel returns. Because the cabin is pressurised, 99.9% of all viruses and bacteria are filtered through medical-grade filters. They're usually operating theatres and the air is extracted every five minutes from the cabin, he said. Other health safety measures include the offer of face masks to passengers, more cleaning on high-contact areas like seats, overhead lockers and seatbelts, with cleaning wipes offered to passengers if they want to clean areas themselves. Critics have pointed out on a full aircraft social distancing of 1.5 metres is impossible to maintain. But Mr Joyce says Qantas flights will be safe from COVID-19. And this sounds legitimately reasonable. If you can space out people and do a thorough cleaning of most spots on a plane whilst being careful about touching surfaces, which has now been proved to spread the virus, you could bring flights back. However, even if they had the safest planes in the world, with the cleanest surfaces, that doesn't mean people are going to fly with them. And in order to keep not just Qantas, but other companies active, and I'll speak about that a bit later, you need to have people using the services they provide. So in Qantas's case, you need people flying. They, even if they cleaned everything, they need to get people back on the planes. This is what Mr Joyce wants to do. He said... With the cabin, the measures were we're introducing the mask, the sanitizers people to wipe down, the extra cleaning we're doing ourselves, hand sanitizers all the way through the terminals. We're very comfortable. You don't need social distancing on an aircraft, Mr Joyce said. The company has been hit hard by the onset of the coronavirus pandemic, suspending all international flights and slashing around 60% of domestic flights. Remember, Qantas and Jetstar are a partnership and Qantas owns Jetstar. So... These flights include Jetstar domestic flights, which are still running. 
Qantas has also stood down about 20,000 workers, which has led, not just from Qantas, but from several, several companies, many, many companies, has led to the unemployment rate rising. And I've seen this pretty much, nearly firsthand, with a lot of people I know losing their jobs. This leads me into another very, very similar issue, except this one, hopefully, will be on the ground. And this comes with the NRL and the Rugby League, who have, st- who have claimed they will be bringing back matches on the 28th of May with a new revised schedule. This has the same issue Qantas faces, with people not wanting to play or people not wanting to watch. The company has lost quite a bit of funds from not people watching the games in person and without the games being played. This has caused the need to bring back games soon or the company may go into voluntary administration. And the money they have could be lost very quickly as referees have had a bit of strife. People have said that they need some changes of rules and without agreement by the NRL, people could be out of jobs. And the NRL is crucial because the NRL and AFL combined are actually, believe it or not, a huge part of the Australian economy because spawning and entertainment industries make up quite a bit of money. As you may know, there are a few ways to make money off sports and activities. There is, first part, the play of the game. The first part is the play of the game, and this is this is people playing the game, getting paid to play the game, showing awareness from the game, and this brings us to part B, people going to the ground and watching the game, which gets their money, but then they have to pay people to get make the food, which get paid to get the food, which brings me to part C, people watching the game from home, which has been which will be the major part once the game returns. Without the games being played on TV, this loses quite a bit of the game's money, which is spent actually keeping the game alive, which is why these games need to come back. AFL should be following as well, coming this June. All of you who are entering tipping comps like I am, you have until the 28th of may to get your tips in that's less than a week from now good luck to all you tipsters that's about it for our sports news today and uh now i've got some pretty weird news which came about just about um a week ago a shopper who went to coles had an outrage after buying a 1.5 liter bottle of coca-cola coke zero the expiry date on this bottle was the 8th of November 2017. The Coles customer has voiced his outrage after buying a bottle of Coke Zero purchased from the supermarket that he claimed was two and a half years out of date. The shopper, Brian, claims he made the disgusting discovery after drinking the soft drink and finding that it was flat as a tack and yuck, he said. It was then, on closer inspection, that Brian says he had noticed the expiry date on the bottle was November 2017, commenting that it was disgusting that this was sold. Posting on Facebook, Brian explained that he received a, an expired Coke as part of a promotion at his local Coles. So, this Coles recently had an offer, buy one hot roast chicken and get a 1.5 litre Coke free, wrote Brian. It sounded like such a great deal. Such a, such a good deal, in fact, that they purchased two they purchased twice over a couple of days, two chickens and two 1.5 litre Cokes. They were thinking that Coke will go well with their, with their drink of choice. Not so much a great idea. Both bottles of Slatter's Attack. Expiry date, 8th of November. Yuck, yuck, yuck. This is pretty surprising. But the point here is, who's, whose fault was it? Was it Coca-Cola's for sending in old Cokes? Was it Cole's? For not checking the expiry? Or did Coles deliberately sell the expired drink? Or did it come down to the consumer, Brian, who bought the Coke unknowingly of the expired condition? Now, this could just be a theory of mine. However, Coke Zero was actually discontinued in most areas as a brand but to be replaced with Coke No Sugar, a very similar alternative for the, for the exact same drink. However, this bottle was being sold pretty recently. Had it come up to a quad case, this may have come out very differently, because the bottle was not necessarily sold at the same time it was bought. 
The man worked in a supermarket for over 30 years and can definitely tell that it was a use-by date, not a best before. The difference between these being that it is very, very risky to drink a bottle that is out of its use-by date, which would be like something like a dairy product such as milk. However, things that are preserved products like products like chips that have a preserved bag and preservatives that make them last longer, they would last longer and they have a best before date, which is the brand who releases the bot- the product would recommend that you use and consume this product before this date. So, the consumer has claimed it was a use-by date, not a best before. The food authorities say that while foods are safe to eat after their best before date, their quality may be compromised. Date marks give a guide to how long food can be kept before it begins to deteriorate or may become unsafe to eat advises Food Standards Australia on the website. Most foods have a best before date. You can still eat foods for a while after the best before date as they should be safe, but they may have lost some quality. Foods that have a best before date can legally be sold after that date provided the food is fit for human consumption. However, people, including Brian, have stated that not only this, but several products have been sold out of date because the people selling them believe that it is safe to eat or drink. Obviously, this Coke bottle is usually made over a year before the best before date, meaning that a four-year-old bottle of Coke sold? No, of course not. It's out of date. This should never have hit the shelves. And that is why this is a case. If you ever have any other consumer issues, please give me a buzz on uh, my email risingnews at gmail.com and uh, let me know what that was. I'll try and feature you in the next or I'll episode. In the next episode or the one after. I'd love to hear from you. I want to get more articles of the people I am talking to because this is a very local podcast for the area of people that I am with and who I am listening to with. And most of you would agree that we're in a pretty local area. We're just leading to very personalised news. So, if you have any ideas for any articles I could cover in the next few weeks, then give me a buzz. I have sadly had to cut a few things, like the You've Asked For It. The You've Asked For It segment was a segment I introduced a couple of weeks ago, where you would submit your ideas for an article, I would choose one, and I would use it. However, I had to take the survey down because of uh, a few first-lit bugs and then a few people taking advantage of the survey and submitting some pretty inappropriate things. However, I will try to keep listening to your submissions and um, make sure that all your emails to risenews at gmail.com are sensitive and you may be reported if it's inappropriate. However, I do have some other news which is also pretty shocking. This news is about Woolworths. There was some pretty big outrage recently which I noticed myself and I saw some photos of and I knew I had to cover it this week. This was about the Woolworths prawns. Woolworths had sold prawns in their seafood section of some of their stores with the tag of Made in China, which had already been a pretty ongoing thing, which I believe there's nothing wrong with that. However, there is one small difference. At the bottom of the special tag on these prawns, it claims these prawns are not to be used as bait underneath the product of China labelling. The store which sold these claimed that they were not that was a weird noise <clears throat> claimed they were not to be used as bait but were apparently okay for Australians to eat said one post. The retail giant has defended its decision to sell prawns from China saying all important foods are subject to stri- strict screenings. I believe that's wrong. I believe that if food is coming from overseas during a time of crisis like this pandemic it should be it shouldn't it shouldn't be coming in yes we do need it for our economy however it's very very dangerous it adds that around three quarters of its prawn rage is sourced from australian producers and if they say this if Woolworths says that most of their prawns from australian producers then why would they still be selling ones from china especially considering that prawns should be sold fresh this changes the levels of the chemicals and proteins within the seafood which can change the molecules which can make some people feel sick which is the same in some fish. There was a huge outrage, outrage because of this, about this whole not to be used for bait thing. 
because what makes the difference between putting it in our lakes, rivers, and oceans, and putting it in your mouths? This is because the reason that they say you can't use it as bait is because there are specific things that we can tolerate that some fish can't, like some things that could be on the prawns. Woolworths has been very defensive to these articles and these postings, and they haven't said much more. A lot of people have been shaming this supermarket chain. And in addition to Woolworths, Aldi has had some controversy from recent times. Now, have you ever seen the decimals, obviously being a rhetorical question, that have multiplication tables on them used for young children? With times tables from 1 to 12. Seems pretty normal, doesn't it? Well, Aldi has been selling these recently as sort of a part of their special buys. However, a four-year-old, which was reading and using these times tables desk mats, spotted a very, very embarrassing mistake. Forcing Aldi to take this product off the shelves. This was the mistake. Only five times tables section of the mat. It read, 10 times 5 is 50. 11 times 5 is 55. 12 times 12 is 60. Now, even if they made the mistake of putting 12 times 12 under the 5 10 times tables, surely they'd put 144. Or if they put, you know, 5 times 12, 12 times 5, it should have equaled 60. However, they've put 12 times 12, leading a four-year-old to notice. This is why a mum pointed this out on a popular Facebook page called Aldi Mums. Her number-obsessed four-year-old, who had autism, was upset that the times tables contain a big stuff-up. It will, it will be returned tomorrow, she said, so disappointed. Fellow Aldi Mums, participants and members from the Facebook page were disappointed from Aldi and impressed by the boys' math skills, only being four and going through such a tough time. Add another, wow, well done, took me a while to find the mistake. Another person said, oh no, good pick up little one. This was Aldi's response. In a statement to Seven News, an Aldi spokesperson has encouraged shoppers who've purchased the mat to return it to their local store. The spokesperson from Aldi said that there are at least 144 reasons why the printing error on the desk mat special buy is awkward. They agreed that 12 times 12 does actually equal 144, and they said that they take effort and every effort ensuring their products are of the highest quality, and they apologised to the kids learning their times tables and their parents for this oversight. They're in the process of removing this product from their stores and encourage any customers who have purchased this product to return it to their local store for a full refund. So, if anyone's out there with this Aldi Times Tables desk mat, make sure you return it and pop me an email so I can mention you in the next podcast. They encourage, well, they always encourage con- customers to contact Aldi directly through the customer service team so they can promptly and thoroughly conduct an investigation into any issues, Aldi has said. There's been quite a bit of news about shopping chains recently, with deliveries, Woolworths and their problems, and now Aldi. There's been so many issues regarding shopping centres, and particularly grocery stores, as recently they've been the biggest and pretty much only stores open. This is getting pretty big and pretty out of hand. So make sure that if you ever notice something that doesn't seem right in a shopping centre, you catch it out and report it. And make sure that you get what you pay for. Now some other technology news. Here we go. Some more technology news. Now you might be all over the place with news um, today, and that's because I want to keep a variety. If you only want to listen to 20 minutes of this podcast, it'll only sound like a normal podcast. You can jump in and go before and after each article, and you'll have a good time, rather than listening to me talk for half an hour about shopping centres and losing half an hour that you don't want to listen to. So I'm jumping around, so you only have to hear small, quick articles. Which is why I'm going to now talk about 
the new solar cell technology which Australian scientists will dra drastically improve. Alrighty. Australian researchers have now found ways to improve the durability of new solar technology that could rival or complement traditional silicon cells, bringing its mass production a step closer to reality. Let us stop here. Solar cells, obviously, you know what solar is, you know what cells are, combine the two. This new technology can be revolutionary. Here we go. Conventional solar cells used on roofs and everywhere else took four decades to pass efficiency rates of 25%. A milestone, milestone new so-called perovskite cells have researched in about a quarter of the time while using low-cost materials. This is, the stability of this new technology is yet to be assured. Perovskite. Okay, I'm reading this off my um, I'm reading this off my stupid script, and I do not know how to read perovskite. Perovskite. I'm just going to say perovskite. I'm going to say perovskite. Obviously, I make the articles, I edit the articles, and then I try to find a way to read them back that people will understand. I'll give it a go. So these scientists have said that these perovskite cells can be much, much, much thinner than uh, silicon cells, and um, they've even said that they can be 500 times thinner and being more flexible, meaning that they can be used to cut anything from buildings to cars and drones. Now, this is actually similar to television technology, as OLED lights have been thinner and more flexible. Very similar. And if you've uh, kept up with television and TV news, then you'll know what I'm talking about. Now, research by a team led by Anita, Anita Ho Bastille. But no, Bale. Now at the University of Sydney, and Lei Shi from the University of New South Wales, showed how cheap but high-performance polymer, polymer coatings used in double glazing can improve the durability of the cells so they can pass the key international standards for heat and humidity. This is pretty revolutionary technology. As you know, solar cells and more environmentally friendly electricity and programs are becoming pretty big at the moment. And that's why this is going to be such so big. They claimed, we're so pleasantly surprised. We have, found, we have now shown that we can drastically improve their thermal stability. And that is your dose of science news done for today. Now some news about Queensland. And how a Brisbane mother has been left fuming after receiving a passive-aggressive note from her neighbour. Her son's loud tuba playing during self-isolation is what sparked the bitterness dispute with a neighbour threatening to call the police in a note left from the family. There was a schoolboy in um, North Brisbane called Ryan Collip. He's aged 15, and he's been dedicating himself to daily tuba practice from 8am while being homeschooled during the coronavirus lockdown. This musician, uh, he was an aspiring musician who annoyed one neighbour so much that he left an angry letter in the family's mailbox. His mother said, I was instantly angry. I was fuming. She said, the leather was left and she was smoking. This letter had made her fuming, saying that she would not tell her aspiring musician's son to stop playing his instrument. We wouldn't have had a problem changing practice hours, but there was no talking, just the note, she said. She said her son played the last post in their driveway on Anzac Day and said she wouldn't tell Ryan to stop his music. The teenager is an aspiring musician and plays in Queensland's Youth Orchestra as well as four other ensembles. He said, I knew that there would be some people who don't like it, but I didn't know that people would be threatening to call the police. In a note, the neighbour indicated they had already reported the tuba to police and threatened to involve authorities again if the noise didn't stop. The mother revealed in a Facebook post, I'm sorry if this practice annoys you, but I suggest you buy earplugs because I will definitely not tell him to stop practicing, she wrote. She added, what's wrong with you? Please call the police and hopefully they'll tell you to pull your head in too. People looked at her opinion and claimed it was really controversial. With some social media users saying the neighbour was out of line, while others justified involving the police. With restrictions easing all over the country and kids being sent back to school as of Monday, Ryan said he won't be playing his 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 tuba won't be a problem much longer. He said he'll be back to school soon, and 
It will be it, it'll be back in a soundproof room, so they don't have to worry about it. He said. Now, this is pretty controversial because you know if your neighbour is making such a loud noise and it's, and it's bothering you, yes, you do want to let them know. But being passive aggressive about it isn't the right way forward. And and to to call the police and threaten the people next door, that's definitely not the right way to go. And if I, if this ever happened to me and I was the person who had been playing the instrument, I don't really know where I'd go. It would depend the way I'd been approached. If I'd been approached like this kid, I'd be scared. But I'd know that I was in my right. I would know that I'm allowed to play my tuba. And that's what the kid knew. Obviously, I'm not good at music at all, so I wouldn't really know what this is like. But I do know that he stood up for what is right and now will receive justice. That's that's a bit of bit of news that uh, it's pretty pretty sad because kids, you know, kids have been going through a tough time as well as adults in this lockdown, and that that's been pretty pretty controversial. Now, here is some uh, some more some more pretty weird news actually. I've had a pretty weird news day today with a pretty weird script, but um, we now have the world leaders uh, winning. Who's winning the COVID nineteen battle? And I've just had we've been having a look at the numbers and how the world's been battling the, the pandemic for months on end. And um, now there's something common about the nations coming out on top. People say this could just be a coincidence, but there's something that's that's been very common, and that's female leaders, like New Zealand, led by Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. They've now confirmed 1,504 confirmed cases, but only 21 deaths. Taiwan, uh, led by President Tsai Ing-wen, has reported 440 cases and only had 7 deaths. While Finland, who who has had 6,493 cases, more than New Zealand and Taiwan, has only had 603 deaths. Denmark, under Prime Minister Met Fredriksson, has had 11,380 cases and only 561 deaths, while Germany has had 8,203 deaths out of 179,921 cases. In the UK, with Boris Johnson as the leader, the total death tell stands at 86,124, with Italy recording... 32,000 deaths. France, 28,000, and Spain, 27,000. This is not to contrast. I'm not using these figures to contrast male leaders to female leaders. However, I would like to point out the differences and the fact that there is a very big coincidence with if that's true. There's a lot of a lot of information on this and how different countries have handled the virus, but something I'm just going to say, just as me, just with no real chat about a certain article or anything like that just as me just personally people are giving a lot of trouble and people are giving a lot of hard time to Australian politicians and to the Prime Minister and we yes we've had a lot of cases and yes we've had a lot of deaths but that's not when you compare it to European countries or the US. Australia's handled this virus pretty pretty well and I wouldn't be giving a hard time to anyone who's been involved in the virus. Including all of you. Including every single one of you listening to this podcast. You have experienced at least one change in your life due to the virus. Whether that be small, like you know, like changing how you work. You know, one day extra a week you work from home instead of every instead of four out of five days. Maybe it's big. Maybe your whole your whole life being turned around by the virus. But so many people have been changed because of this virus, and I don't think that we should be giving anyone a hard time for it. No one deserves to be treated badly because of this virus, and nobody deserves to cop the blame. And that's something that's pretty big and pretty important. Now, I don't have much longer to go on this one-hour special, but now we're going to play a little game. Following with the quiz theme of politics and Australian politics from the quizzes today, we're going to have a lightning round. I'll ask five questions, all in quick succession. Your, 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 your goal is to write down the answers. If you have a piece of paper ready, that'd be great. 
you write down the answers as quick as you can after each question. See how many you get correct, and contact me if you got a level 5. They're not the easiest questions. So, in 3, 2, 3, 2, 1. Who was the first female Australian Prime Minister? 3, 2, 1. What year was the current Parliament House opened? 3, 2, 1. The first Prime Minister was part of which party? 3, 2, 1. How many states does Australia have? 3, 2, 1. Alrighty. You've had three seconds to answer each question, and now it's time for the answers. For the first question, what year was Australia federated? The answer was 91. Federation Day is on the same day as New Year's Day. The second question was, who was the first female Australian Prime Minister? The answer was Julia Gillard, a member of the Labour Party. The third question was, what year was the current Parliament House opened? The answer 1988. The next question is, the first Prime Minister was a part of which party? The answer was the Protectionist Party. Edmund Barton, the first Prime Minister from 1901, was part of the Protectionist Party. The final question, easiest one of them all, how many states does Australia have? We're not counting territories here. The answer is six. Well done if you got all those correct. A few of them were pretty tricky, and a few of them were pretty simple. Now, I've only got one more article here before we go, and then that'll sum up the final end of our one-hour special of Rising News. Yet again, today is Saturday, the 23rd of May 2020, and um, before we do that, I'd just like to have a quick talk about why I'm doing this one-hour special, and that's because of a few reasons. There have been a few changes to the way we live our lives, and that's made it pretty difficult for me to find new news. So I've compiled all the information and small details I've found over the last few weeks and I've added them into this podcast. Hopefully that's pretty entertaining and informs you of what's going on recently. Like the news about Virgin Australia from earlier is quite old. However, I've tried to make it recent and I've tried to make a podcast that goes for a decent length with information. But I didn't want to forget about the last few weeks and what's happened, so I've compiled them all into today's episode. Now, it is time for our final article. And now it's time for the JobKeeper article. And how JobKeeper has left recipients facing huge income cliff. Now, as you may know, the government added a $550 supplement payment on top of the regular unemployment benefit. And it's going to create a nightmare scenario if we don't change it. You see, it creates dangerous incentives in the welfare system because its design leaves recipients facing a huge income cliff. See, normally a person who's on the dole, um, which is now, which was now known as job seeker, formerly known as new start, they they can legitimately earn a few dollars without losing the payment completely. You see, for quite a while now, Australia's had payments unemployment to try and keep Australia's unemployment rate low, trying to encourage people to get a job and give them the motivation to do so. We've, we've had a difficult time trying to continue this into coronavirus because of the unemployment rate rise, how people have lost their jobs for money's sake of keeping companies alive, as mentioned earlier. See, if you do, if you do no paid work, all you get is $566 a fortnight. If you earn $500 a fortnight, in the private sector, you can still get 343 uh, for a total of 843, and if you earn 1,200, you get zero. It's a decent system. Otherwise, unemployed people wouldn't be willing to take on a small part-time job. Then they'd lose their whole income. It encourages people who are looking for a job to take a few hours' work if available. Fading out welfare payments is a good policy, but the original $550 job seeker supplement doesn't have a fade out. See, as the, see, if you get the $550 a fortnight job seeker, no matter what, you, you whether you're working zero hours or grinding away for most of the week to make $1,000 a fortnight, if you go from earning $1,000 to earning $1,100, you suddenly use, lose all of that $550 payment. Your income crumbles. You see, it goes straight downhill. And it stands on a weird situation because many people are better off or turning over motion. Which is weird because usually without a supplement, 
for payment and income, you'd be looking for as many promotions and jobs as possible. The reason for this is that you're better off on the dole. You see, if people can get money for doing nothing, then why would people work? And this is this is hard because to keep our economy going and to keep people in jobs, we need to give people money for not being in jobs. And this is a pretty pretty, pretty tricky situation. So it's a pretty bad design, but it's acceptable only in emergency. And yes, coronavirus is an emergency. Coronavirus has, has changed the way everyone lives, and that makes it an emergency. That makes it a global set of emergency, all referred to as a pandemic. It's global. And it's big, and, and it's forcing people to change the way they live. And that is why it's a big emergency. And that is why the job seeker payment has been pretty, pretty bad. And that is the last article. We're now 56 minutes into our hour special, and as promised, this episode will go for an hour, so I'm just going to chat for a while about some frequently asked questions about the rights and news. I've recently been in the public talking to some people about what they think of Rise of News and trying to get some new followers, trying to get some new people to check out the podcast. And I've had a few questions, so I thought I'd address them now. First question is, why am I doing this? Why, as a kid, would I be making a podcast for kids? Well, that's because I believe that people kid, people from ages zero, obviously from when they're born, to maybe about 16 to 18, don't really want to watch the news. They don't want to sit on the lounge for an hour and watch a boring person talk about boring stuff. However, people want to know the information. That's like you want to, you know, you know, you want to leave school knowing everything, but who actually wants to go to school? That's why the podcast is here. Is I want this podcast to be a way of educating the youth on current affairs and what's currently going on without having to bore them with details you don't need to know. Anything gruesome, I'm going to take it out. I, I want to include things that, you know, you might actually use in future. Obviously, adults can listen to this. And it, I believe it's a good system for summing up the weekly news. In this case, a month. And that's the first frequently asked question. Another question that I've actually got quite a lot is, is um, how can we get new articles during coronavirus? And that comes down to you guys. That's the people listening to this podcast. I want you guys to help. I've mentioned this a million times now. I I need the help of you guys. You guys want to hear articles? I will deliver. Obviously, as I said, I had to get rid of the you asked for it program. However, I still need those emails. We need to get new articles so we can educate more and more people. The bro- the broader this gets, the bigger this can th- thing can be a big deal. And the the more and more it becomes a big deal, the better and better it is. I can eventually help more and more people learn about day-to-day life without having to watch a boring person. And my final frequently asked question is should I keep doing this? And episode one was an experiment. Episode one was was a way of me seeing how could I reach a popular audience without making myself seem in inverted inverted commas cringy. I wanted to say I wanted to find a way to communicate with the youth and communicate with everyone but without making myself look like a fool. And I believe that this is a good way. I believe that this is a good way for me to communicate whatever I want. I want to voice my opinion. I want to be heard. Because in this, in this, in this dull, dull time, in, in this environment, and even without coronavirus, children don't really get a voice. And I believe they should. You see, I have nothing against the current politicians. Nothing against the current world leaders. But it's not their future that they're leading for. If they're, if they're over 30 and they've got plans for 50-year plans, they're not going to be able to use the products that they put in. So it's really the youth of today, the young young children from the ages of 10 to the ages of 30 who stand up against authority because that's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm getting at. I'm getting at you can voice your opinions if you want to be heard and don't let that get taken away from you. Don't let people say that you can't stand out don't let people say that you can't change this world if you're only young because that's that's not how the world works alright now that's that's all of the frequently asked questions now and I hope I hope every single person listening to this week's podcast has had a really good time obviously that's the only one hour special I'm doing for this season I might do one next season but I'm going to try and keep back up with the one 
episode a week for us, or just to get over that each week. I hope that you've all enjoyed it. Hope you've all had a great time. Once again, I'm Riley Oaks. This is Rising News. Goodbye.